Hi, and welcome to Magda Talk Series. We're connecting with Doreen Rios, curator specialized in digital art and culture and founder of Antimateria. Antimateria emerges from the need of consolidating an informative platform as well as an exhibition space that enforces the artistic creation based on new media performed by Latin American artists, curators and art promoters. Doreen's work focuses on research and curation of digital art and post-media digital practices. Enjoy the talk. Hey, hello. Hey, how are you? I'm good. Can you hear me? I'm good. I'm good. Staying home since yesterday. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. That's good. Where have you been before? Yeah. Have you guys just gone on lockdown yesterday? or? Well, not full on lockdown, but uh, yesterday we got, um, well, asked for, well, the all the Secretary of Culture in Mexico was asked to, you know, undertake the proper measures mm -hmm. of safety. So it's not necessarily like a lockdown in itself, but uh, we are asked to work from home, uh -huh. which makes a lot of sense for us since I work for the uh, Center for Digital Culture. So for us, it's like, you know, You guys natural. are used to it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, let's just do this. Yes. Just yes, what, is what about you? How are you? Sure, yeah. I've been staying inside for about three weeks now, so it's been a little longer here. Um, but so far, it's been okay, so can't complain. <laughs> just the food shortage, but apart from that, it's, it's going all right. Thank you for joining me today. It's uh, wonderful to talk to you and... Um, So today I would like for us to explore what the role of a curator is. Um, yesterday I was on, on a call with Kevin Abosh and we actually mm -hmm. touched on the fact that there may be more curators um, bringing that knowledge into the space, especially online, and how this will influence in a way the uh, perception that we have of digital art. Because I feel that now more than ever, we see more art and we started to appreciate it in a way that it wasn't maybe so um, clear before that what we were looking at was digital art in a way. Uh, we just thought maybe it was digital stuff and now we're actually recognizing it for the value it has in its own. So I just wanted to, um, you know, start the conversation with you, if you could give a little background about how you became a curator and what does it mean to curate online? Yeah, sure. Well, it is also a very interesting time, I think, to have this conversation, especially because of what has been going on for the past at least couple of weeks. And <laughs> like you said, you know, now it feels like there's a rush for going online, especially for museums that haven't necessarily been able to yeah. uh, create a proper flat platform for their spaces. And now they are kind of like wondering how can they start, you know, even if late, but better now okay, than right. never, right? Yeah. So, well, um, as for myself, I uh, did a bachelor in architecture. And uh, while I was doing my bachelor, I realized that, of course, digital tools are a key part of um, architecture education, at least uh, in the school that I did my bachelor at. And um, so I started wondering, you know, what happens with all of these Uh, digital designs and all these 3D models, renderings, images, and so forth that you produce in order to 
be able to communicate mm -hmm. a project that will eventually get built, let's say, in reality, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, what's, what's like the role of this uh, digital part of the design process for an architectural um, project? And I was wondering if it could be something else than just communicating uh, a project. And so I think that it, it started pretty much there. And, um, and I got also very interested at some point during the bachelor in uh, video mapping and especially video mapping within uh, architectural, like really big architectural sites. Uh, I thought it was very interesting to think about architecture as something that feels like it cannot be removed from time unless you do something that is very drastic. And sometimes that doesn't allow for this space to evolve or for this space to be understood in other, in other ways, in other, let's say, more contemporary ways. So uh, when I started, let's say, acknowledging uh, video mapping as a practice that could potentially engage both of these uh, languages, on one hand, yes, the architectural bit, like, you know, the very... Uh, traditional and conventional form of uh, seeing and uh, consuming and experiencing architecture, but then on the other side, all of this digital part that comes into play when you're doing a video mapping and how can you transform? What I thought was fascinating is uh, how could you transform a space without touching it? Uh, mm -hmm. You know, like only with light, you could turn something into something else for, you know, a short period of time generally, but it can become something else. And I think that conversation is what started, um, well, getting me like more in depth uh, into to thinking about all of these digital processes, first within architecture, but then afterwards within other sort of practices. Um, at some point, of course, I started wondering like, oh, are there people out there using this software uh, for something else that's not mm -hmm. architecture? Uh, of course there were. And when I started finding them, I, fell in love with it. I don't know. <laughs> I was just like, well, this is, this is amazing. You know, what happens within these spaces and inside the screen, sometimes it feels, I don't know, much more compelling than something that's going to take, I, I don't know, like a year or two at least to, to take its final shape. And mm -hmm. um, I don't know, I think it pretty much started from there. And uh, even though I was not full on, let's say, working within uh, digital art by then, I was already researching a tiny bit, you know, in my free time and kind of like thinking about who is doing this in Mexico, where can I go see this, where can I meet these people, um, what kind of stuff they're working on, you know, like what, what are they thinking when using these, uh, these devices and this software. Um, so eventually I was like, well, you know, um, I started thinking about my own practice as a recent graduate from architecture school because I was very much aware that I didn't really want to be within the tra traditional framework of um, working within architecture, you know, like working for an architecture firm or, I don't know, like doing uh, rendering or design, or I, I just couldn't really see myself inside that. Um, however, I've always been very fond of architecture and I think it's something that will stay with me forever. That's the way I understand I don't know, I am, that's the way I understand life like in general, I would say. Um, so at some point I realized, because by this point, I, everything that I've researched and everything that I've seen regarding digital arts hadn't really been within, a, let's say, academic uh, framework. It was more like, you know, going around 
the internet, basically, and, you know, finding some books and then sharing some PDFs with someone and going to exhibitions and just pretty much being there. So at some point, someone uh, started telling me like, oh, you know, like architects, I think could be great curators. And I was like, what is that? What's a curator? <laughs> um, and when, when I understood the role of a curator, I, I think at first I understood uh, the notion of what a curator does as as if the curator was a translator, mm -hmm. a translator between artwork and audiences. So for me, that was very, very interesting, especially because you actually get to design a space. You do have, well, at least from my point of view, a way of approaching this from architecture. So of course, there's um, an academic side to it. Of course, there's a research side to it. Of course, there's, you know, like a very sensible also way of approaching what's going on within the art world but then also you have to put that in a space and mm -hmm. by designing the space I thought I could put into play what I had learned from architecture school um, sure. so yeah that, that's how it started and then eventually I started wondering what what do I do to become a curator you know like, I don't know anyone in the art world and um and I have not studied in an art school before, so what should I do? Um, I realized that in Mexico there were very few places where I could, um, let's say, study, like properly study something regarding uh, curatorial studies. So mm -hmm. I started uh, looking for other possibilities outside of Mexico. And uh, yeah, eventually I started doing this master's in contemporary duration at Winchester School of Art. And uh, yeah. That's how it all started. <laughs> Sounds yeah. like a, a very fascinating journey that took you from architecture to something that, um, you know, acknowledges the dynamic of the space, whether it's physical or digital, into the translation of the work. Because as you were saying, a curator is somebody that translates the work and perhaps helps communicating the meaning of what we see, what we experience um, into yeah. something that is more readable in a, in a way for the broader audience. Um, and putting somehow in communication what the artist is trying to say to, to what society is looking at. So mm -hmm. it's definitely a, a, a role that is pivotal in terms of what art uh, stands for. Um, so I, I was interested in your project Anti-Materia and I wanted to know if um, after coming out of the curatorial course you founded this or how, how did that start? It actually started a little bit before um, doing my master's degree. Mm -hmm. um, when I realized that I wanted to be a curator, the first thing that I did was looking for uh, part-time jobs that would allow me to continue studying and continue doing, you know, the things that I thought that were uh, the ones that would allow me to become a curator, but then also that I could, you know, stay, uh, still have some experience within, within well, uh, professional practice. So I started writing for an arts magazine that's called uh, Revista Código. Mm -hmm. And I was an editorial assistant and I was basically given all of the things that were related to architecture at first, of course. So, you know, they were like, oh, help us out with writing the interview for this very famous architect or help us out with making sense of what they mean by this, this and that. So I started there and, um, and, I, and, I, and I realized very quickly that I, 
enjoy writing a lot. So that's definitely something that I didn't knew I would enjoy before that. <laughs> But uh, once this started, I, I, I was like, okay, this seems like a nice opportunity for me to start working hands-on with what happens with digital art in Mexico. But one of the, like, the current uh, responses that I had were that there was no such thing as an art scene regarding digital arts in Mexico. And I was like, and what, what are you saying? Yeah, they were like, I mean, yeah, we're very interested in, you know, whatever contemporary practice is going on right now, but digital art, I'm not sure. And how many and, years and ago I was, was like, this? Oh my God, this was in 2015. Okay, so, so five years ago. Five years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not that long ago. Actually. Yeah, exactly. That's... <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, oh my God, but I can show you, you know, I have some websites and uh, social media, uh, you know, handles of people who like, are in Mexico, art, who are working exactly with And... Uh, And my boss at the time, he was like, yes, I know, but no one has really, you know, shaped a discourse around this. Mm -hmm. So I cannot just go and print something that has no validation, which I thought was something that I've never thought about before, you know, like, how do you mm -hmm. validate this? I was like, well, I don't know, I guess I just look at it and I validate it myself because I like it and I think it's fascinating, I don't know. Um, <laughs> And that's how I started actually realizing other roles of, uh, of curators and of museums and of galleries and of, you know, exhibition spaces and of studying on a famous art school and, you know, these kind of things that I was just not aware of before. Um, so by then I was like, okay, so what would you say it needs for me to be able to write something about the art scene? And he was like, well, you know, at least you need to have like a website that talks about these people where you can see where they come from, what they are doing, who, where they have exhibited. And I was like, perfect, I'll do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so this is so how started. Yeah, and, and it started something like something very simple. Um, I would even say Antimateria started as a like a directory of, of Mexican artists working with digital arts, you know, it was something very, very simple. It was, you know, just putting a name on it, a small text of what it's about, and some profiles of people who are working with these things. Uh, I would normally approach these artists and, um, and ask them, you know, like, what are your interests? How did you start working with digital tools? Why you keep on working with this? Where have you exhibited? How do you feel the, the whole, you know, Uh, atmosphere in Mexico uh, looks like for digital arts and, and yeah that's how it started but very quickly I realized that um, while talking with these artists that having this sort of directory was just not enough you know they were like it's fantastic it's great thank you for putting this together but you know it's still something that will only reach an audience that is already interested in these practices so mm -hmm. So it wasn't reaching out to, to new um, audience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, for me, it was like, well, this, this for me felt more like, um, like an excuse for me to be able to tell my boss, like, oh, there's a website actually that says this, this and that. So now it's validated. Now I can write about this. So <laughs> I guess the way that I started working with Antimateria was not with like a deeper... I don't know, 
more broader goals for mm -hmm. what I could do with this. Um, but then when I started actually interviewing these artists and talking with them about, uh, well, you know, their life as an artist, as a digital artist in Mexico, they were continuously telling me, well, there are not enough uh, exhibition spaces that are interested in showing our work. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's, that's really sad because a lot of them had exhibited uh, abroad, mm -hmm. which feels like, you know, like a, but not in Mexico, yeah, mm -hmm. which feels like a bigger step, you know, normally you make your own small career locally and then nationally and then, and then you grow. Mm -hmm. But it, it seems like they were, uh, it was easier for a lot of them to go abroad rather than exhibit where they live or mm -hmm. at least, you know, in a city nearby or something, which I thought was just crazy. But, but why, you know, I, shouldn't these have practices have already been you know, like validated, you know, then again to validation by someone else, mm -hmm. you know, when you exhibited abroad, shouldn't this be enough for you to be able to find a place where you can exhibit local? In your own well, no, <laughs> clearly. And um, since I already knew that I wanted to do something regarding curatorial studies, I was like, okay, maybe that's step number two for Antimateria. You know, the platform is already there. Mm -hmm. And uh, since I was working on that on my own, I had no limitations and I was paying for that on my own. So I was like, well, you know, I can do whatever I want with this. And if this is something that makes sense for the artist, and if this is something uh, that I want to uh, also start working on, I might as well just do it. So uh, when I started doing my master's degree, that's when I started doing exhibitions. Mm -hmm. um, not before that. Uh, I didn't really feel that I had the tools for putting a show together myself. Uh, so when I started doing the master's degree, of course, I was very supported by the university as well, which I thought was really nice. And I also had a lot of, you know, peers and uh, lecturers that I can talk to and ask them questions about, you know, mm -hmm. how should I do this? How should I do that? Does this make sense? Um, and I thought it was an interesting jump, you know, when I tried to explain this to my parents, <laughs> they were like, but what, what are you doing? What do you want to do? And at first I was like, oh, well, like, you know, if you're a design, but like for museums. And they were like, well, that's very specific, but it sounds nice. And then later on, I was like, well, the same, but online. And they were like, what? So you're not building something? Like, we cannot go to a place to mm -hmm. see this, you know? Is there not going to be like a big event, like an opening with cocktails and, you know, catering? And, and I was like, no, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Um, so you were ahead of, of course, time with always... social distancing. I know, I know. Which now it makes a lot of sense. You know, now my parents are like, oh, you're not closing because you're always online. And I'm like, yes. Now everyone understands. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so this is how I don't know. your first exhibition. Yeah, so my first exhibition, actually it was... Uh, let's say physical exhibition that I did in January 2017. So it took me about two years to, you know, from starting Antimateria to actually doing the first exhibition. Mm -hmm. um, I did this at Winchester School of Art and I started what I thought was a series of exchanges. So I brought the artwork of six Mexican artists to the UK and then I took the work of six uh, 
British-based artists to Mexico. So mm -hmm. I thought that was, you know, like an interesting part to it because even though I've always been very interested in, let's say, working on what's going on in Mexico in, regarding digital arts, it's not a case where I'm not interested in what happens in other places. I'm very interested yeah. in what happens in other places. And it's much more, um, I don't know, like a logic where I'd rather have a series of, you know, conversations and, and different ways of collaborating rather than just closing myself to working only with mm -hmm. uh, Mexican artists. I think that's something that has also been uh, important to think about, especially when I was in the UK and I was like, well, you know, I need to understand how can I expand these, uh, these ways of approaching um, well, these practices. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, my first exhibition was in 2017 in January. Then that year, I think probably 2017, I just went crazy and I did a lot of shows, probably around five or six that year. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Now I know how to do this. I want to do more. <laughs> um, and then, of course, afterwards, uh, I graduated from the master's degree and I was like, okay, so now back to the real world where something that has always been a concern for me is being able to pay the artists that I work with. And, and I was like, okay, so yes, when I was doing my master's degree studies, I understand that I cannot pay you know, the, the artists for exhibiting their work. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's something that they can understand as well. But once you go outside and you are now within a professional field, it's your responsibility to be able to do this. So, you know, when I have to raise money for the, my exhibitions and not only asking for, you know, help from different people or in this case, the university that helped out a lot with everything that I wanted to do. That's when I started, you know, facing other kinds of problems, especially the one that deals with, you know, but why do you want to pay for something that is only online or, you know, mm -hmm. isn't that free? Isn't that free? Uh, isn't that like available for everyone? Can't I just go into the artist's, uh, I don't know, like YouTube page and watch what they do? Like, why, why would I give you funding for something like this? This is actually been um, really interesting and relevant to the times where I'm living right now. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear that you actually had to face such challenges um, a few years ago. Um, and seeing how that experience comes in practice these days. So yes, how did yeah. that go when you, well, when you had to fundraise for online exhibitions? And also, I'm, I'm curious to know what the audience perception was, and still is perhaps, um, of, of going to an exhibition that is based online versus an exhibition that is within a physical space given that you understand the dynamic of the space and the architecture, how do you build those online places? Well, in terms of raising funds, I think it, it has always been very difficult, especially within, <clears throat> let's say, the art, arts and culture field. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I found sure. that it's easier to get funds from, uh, let's say, technology or innovation because one way or the other, uh, making, let's say, I don't know, like a software company realize that, you know, you're using their software for something that actually feels very uh, new or very fresh and that could bring them, you know, other sorts of knowledge. They feel, I think, 
much more eager to support something like this. I, mm-hmm. At least that has been my my experience with this. Mm-hmm. And also my experience has been that uh, in terms of validation, again, there's an interesting way of approaching how do you feel that an online exhibition works, you know, um, while comparing that to a physical exhibition. So that's definitely something that we can, you know, talk a little bit more about, especially like you say, now that it feels like that is changing very abruptly and uh, it feels like it is asking to to change like very rapidly for us to be able to under to undergo these uh, changes. Mm-hmm. So um, I think probably one of the most interesting uh, feedback that I've had from online exhibitions, where I can say the first online exhibition that I did was for uh, the wrong uh, Viennale mm-hmm. of 2017. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I did the embassy and the online pavilion, and it was the first online pavilion and online exhibition that I did with Antimateria. Uh, I, it was an open call, and I decided to, you know, just write a very small text to talk about the digital body. And uh, and I was, it was interesting because when I had to actually design the website, I mean, I'm not a programmer myself. But I uh, I work with but Antimateria is hosted on Squarespace, so mm-hmm. it's a very very easy platform to use. But it has its restrictions as well. So mm-hmm. it was uh, for me it was like well going in, uh, looking for templates, changing stuff on them, you know, kind of like getting a sense of what I wanted to show. Why this? Why not this other one? If I could change the fonts, if I could make these move, if I could, you know. So I started working on this. Pretty much like I would work on a, I don't know, like on a rendering. That's what I thought, you know. When you're rendering something, you have to choose the lights and you have to choose the colors and you have to choose what goes on top of it. If you're going to add a tree, if you're going to add a cat somewhere, if you're going to add people, if you're going to leave this plane, if it's going to be black and white. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was very, well, very interesting to do that, you know, to to design because in the end it's also a sort of, uh, well, yeah, like an approach to design, at least graphic design, if you (laughs) will. Um, So when I did the open call, while doing the open call, I was already trying out some templates. And then afterwards, uh, I, what I realized that was easier for me to do was that since I was working on the topic of the digital body, uh, the artwork that I got, uh, that I selected for this, uh, exhibition, I asked the artist to tell me which body part they think it could relate to more. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God, I hope uh, not everyone tells me like, oh, the eye, you know, <laughs> the head, because it's going to be like, oh, I cannot place everything on the eyes and the head. But no, it was super interesting. There was a lot of people that were like, oh, I think it has to do a lot of uh, uh, with movement, so probably legs, or it has mm-hmm. a lot to do with typing, so probably fingers. Or uh, I think, I don't know, it's a very tense artwork, so maybe you feel it in your stomach because, you know, you just, I don't know, you, you feel tense and that's how you work. And, and I thought that was really nice. Uh, so in the end, what I did was like, a, it was a big, like an anatomy diagram and each body part led, had a link to the, to the artwork. So whether that be video or um, image rendering, I had 
also there was this very particular one that was like uh it felt like early net art but it wasn't mm-hmm. um so it it was something when that you know whenever you got into the website this video played and then after this another one started and you know kind of designing that was also interesting to be able to you know to mm-hmm. give the artists what they wanted it was also because i was thinking about that you know in terms of the space and i was like well it is like when you are on the physical space and you're like oh should we do you know like this sort of light here or not or you know and it was like a all trial and error sort of, sort of thing so i think it felt very natural mm-hmm. and afterward like i was saying probably the let's say the general feedback was from people that was already interested in these practices and that was already following uh the wrong so a lot of them were like oh i really like this artist it was very interesting i think you know everything looked very very well um like put together but i think probably when i think i, I can't remember if it was a cousin of mine mm, or an aunt but they, well they i shared this online and 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 they were like oh i was well, you know i don't know what you were doing but i clicked on this and i saw this and i uh and i couldn't figure out what this was so i wondered you know could this be art is this art am i looking at art this is a really bizarre website what is this <laughs> how does it work and i thought that it was very nice because even though they were not uh you know someone that was close to art practices much less digital art practices they were like you know this feels weird but this feels nicely put together it sort mm-hmm. of makes sense in a weird way so it might be art it could be art i think <laughs> and and i thought that it was really nice i mean of course that's also very much informed by the fact that they already know that i work within the art world so yeah uh-huh. but but i thought you know it's interesting and um and this person told me also that you know sometimes when i'm on online especially when you know you are just like going around on your uh facebook feed it feels like that's your safest space for you not to have to uh travel in the you know like gigantic ocean that is the internet mm-hmm. um because it feels like everything is already selected and contained and in a way curated for you to consume so of course that's bad in many ways but i thought it was interesting for you know people that i have let's say on my facebook friends that are not particularly interested on in the art world uh that every now and then whenever these sort of things pop up they're like okay this is going to be something that's kind of funky kind of weird <laughs> but you know why not and uh, and i realized that it has a lot to do with the anxiety of not being able to consume all of the internet um so that's i think something that i've also tried to think about while thinking about online curatorial practices mm-hmm. you know it feels more and more that we want to have like a selection of things that we know we're going to like or that we're going to be interested on uh, rather than trying to just you know fly solo yeah, on yeah. the internet it feels so, like you just can't do that i don't know it's mm-hmm. uh, it's also interesting i guess so in this in this sort of vision that you you were describing do you think that limitations given by um the web designing that we can access these days because everyone can easily 
uh, fairly easily make a website. Do you think that that space is enough um, to, to show uh, digital art? And could that be curated in a way um, that is still relevant to the works? So how do you see these limitations play in favor or not to the works, to digital art? And also, you know, you said that for some people it may be overwhelming to navigate the internet. How do you think it's best to drive interest and make people discover art in a way that is um, user-friendly, you know, like you're guiding people through a museum by curating an exhibition and telling a story, what is uh, the, the story of the artist, like the biography of the artist, or through a themed exhibition. How do you think this can be done online and how do you see the, restri the restrictions of a web designing playing in favor or against the works? Well, I think, of course, sometimes it feels like it's very limited, right? Mm -hmm. It feels like it's something that's pretty much always or almost always laying flat on a rectangular uh, screen that works in a very specific way that you can interact with in limited, uh, all through limited resources. So I think on that sense, um, Sometimes I do feel that we need to expand the notion of what happens online and to interconnect that with other sorts of interfaces that mm -hmm. can actually um, become more engaging for the, for the audience, I think. Um, that's definitely something that I'm interested in, in, say, working on and talking about, which is uh, what I've called and a lot of people have called uh, hybrid spaces. Mm -hmm. um, so I think... You know, when you have a, a little tweak to it that makes it relevant also for the physical space, I think it has, uh, even if it's limited to, let's say, it's still restricted to a screen, still restricted to uh, a way of approaching it, I think that if you can play around a bit with the, the ways in which you can go in and out of this uh, exhibition space online, it becomes something else. And um, I don't know, I think, of course, Sometimes I feel like we still uh, have to explore more ways of building stuff online. But mm -hmm. then again, when I see, you know, the net art from the, let's say, mid-90s to 2000s, it feels like they already explored everything, you know? <laughs> it's like Oli Ali Alina was already working with stories in the URL. It's like it's something that now when, when I... I started reading about this. I was like, that's crazy. Like, that's that's really cool. But then also, I, I have never, I don't think that I have never thought about something like that. Like, you know, using actually these spaces that feel only as part of a whole or only as part of, you know, like the, the navigator or the, the screen itself that you don't really think much about, but that actually are things that you can play around with. I don't know. I think that's something that, uh, well, they they have covered <laughs> for, for, you know, from 10 years or 15 years ago. So I think it's more about understanding how and where these uh, devices and spaces have expanded to. Because definitely a conversation that I, um, that I find, well, very important to have while talking about these spaces is also accessibility. And accessibility, not necessarily on how can you find these websites, but actually accessibility in the sense of how can we make these 
uh, approachable for people that might not have, let's say, internet connection at their uh, flats or houses. Mm -hmm. And that's definitely something that might feel a little less, um, let's say, approached from a European perspective, of course, because the accessibility that you guys have in Europe is broader than the one that we have in Latin America, of course. Uh, mm -hmm. But I'm working from Latin America with Latin American artists. So that's definitely something that I think about a lot, you know. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and also, and I think about, you know, we always make fun of like, oh, well, Mexican internet sucks. Like, it's super slow. I cannot just go on a website that it's made out of with, I don't know, Unity and, uh, you know, and expect this to work. It's just not going to happen, you know. Like, mm -hmm. Even if I do have the accessibility of having internet connection. And uh, and sometimes, you know, it's it's an area of design. I think that we have to also consider who do we want this to be, uh, who do we want the audience to be, or where do we want this to reach? I don't know. Because also, you know, uh, I think about um, I think a lot about how I I have a lot of students uh, mm -hmm. at um, well I. I I am a lecturer you also teach, at, the, right? at the university. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I teach at the university, the Autonomous University of the State of Mexico, which is an, uh, a public university, which means you have to do like a really tough uh, admission exam. But once you're in, uh, the fees that you pay are very, very low and you can get help from, from the government to mm -hmm. actually um, support you while you are studying. So... Uh, you have a lot of different people there, you know, so people that, you know, might have a very much stable income or that come from a family that have a much stable income. But then also you have the people that uh, fought a lot to get there and that might not really have, uh, you know, Internet at their houses yeah. or laptops of their own or computers of their own. And uh, and that's definitely something that I have to find the ways to to walk around because mm -hmm. well i teach at the art faculty i teach for the bachelor in digital arts so right. imagine you know I, I teach digital arts and i have students that don't have computers and they study digital art mm -hmm. so they are very much conditioned to work at school so everything that they will consume they will consume at uh, the university on the you know, the, the desktop uh, computers from the university with a limited time to, I don't know, to, 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 you know, on one hand do their homework and study and do whatever they have to do, and then on the other to um, entertain themselves and find stuff around. So, uh, so th that's definitely something that I've had to think about a lot. And, uh, and that uh, with time, I think I've realized that a lot of these uh, limitations can be worked through when you think about other ways of showing, mm -hmm. let's say, an online exhibition outside, let's say, not outside of the screen, but outside of the personal device. So, for instance, there's this experiment that, uh, that we've done in the past where, you know, these like big um, supermarkets like Walmart or you know, mm -hmm. these places, they have like an electronics area that it's really, really big, you know, like gigantic screens everywhere. And uh, so we, when, when, we, when we think about like doing an online exhibition or an exhibition, digital art exhibition, when you do not have the resources, you have to get like very 
creative and very cheeky about it. So yeah. <laughs> uh, there was this one time that was like, okay, so let's think about places that already have these devices, that already have uh, what we need. And one of the places that uh, was chosen was a Walmart, you know, like, oh, Walmart has, you know, this particular one. Definitely have a great department. <laughs> yeah. Have, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that come through, you know, so we maybe we do a, some sort of activation on a weekend where everyone is doing their shopping. You know, it might be interesting. So that's the sort of things that I found that are not necessarily let's say working with different tools or mm -hmm. developing different tools is much more about thinking where do we already have this accessibility and how can we make this available for others? So this one time, uh, one of my students had a, a friend that worked there uh, at Walmart at this particular area, the electronics department. And he was like, okay, how do you choose the contents of your screens? And he was like, well, I don't know. I just turned them on and you know, they show whatever. It's like, okay, so that means that if I give you something, no one's gonna, you know, you're not gonna get into trouble with anyone because you are showing something weird. <laughs> and he was like, well, no, no one cares, you know, as long as this is on, it should be fine. So we're like, okay, let's do a video selection. So you went on and uh, <laughs> Yeah, so the exhibition was there, you know, and it was, I thought it was really funny because you know, there was people that was just not caring, you know, it was like, oh, well, Walmart, whatever, the electronic section. But there was people that were just doing their grocery shopping, going like, what, what is this? this you is know, and actually a couple of them asked the, the, the guy that was in charge, like, oh, is this like, I don't know, part of the um, show? <laughs> you know, like, a, I don't know, like a, like a TV series that I've never heard of. If this is like, a, I don't know, like a funky thing that goes on in like Nickelodeon or Cartoon Network or, and he was like, oh, well, no, uh, some art students, they are showing their work here and, you know, yeah. And, uh, and, and I thought that was very interesting because even though it was not uh, necessarily online, it was, let's say, a digital approach mm -hmm. for making available something that might never reach these people you know, that are doing their grocery shopping there. And that they can choose whether or not they want to keep on seeing that or whether or not they want to pay attention to it. But that's pretty much what you do anywhere. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah of course, yeah. So, we have a question coming through and it's actually really mm -hmm. relevant from Eleonora. She's, uh, she's saying that um, a lot of artists from Venezuela and Mexico have been able to support their families selling crypto art. And, and in mm -hmm. some specific cases, creating and selling rare papers. Um, and then she follows on asking, what do you think the role of cryptocurrencies for these kind of communities mm -hmm. uh, play? And crypto well, think... and cryptocurrencies, of course, yeah. Crypto art and cryptocurrencies, okay. Because uh, well, I, I think sure that I... data, the platform, there's a lot of artists uh, drawing mm -hmm. um, on the platform and trading as well. Um, crypto art. Um. I think uh, I haven't really come across uh, a lot of Mexican artists, at least the one that I, the ones that I work with, uh, that have uh, actively uh, turned into crypto art or cryptocurrencies to share and or make a living. 
but I do know that there are a lot of artists that live abroad, that live, you know, outside of their home countries, that that's the best way for them to send money to their families, which I think it's very interesting because it's sort of hacking, you know, the, the economic structures yeah. of their own country, which I think is fantastic. And uh, something that I think about as well is, In 2017, there was this uh, very big, awful earthquake in Mexico City, and mm -hmm. it destroyed a lot, of, well, a, lot, a lot of houses and a lot of places, and uh, it was a very hard moment for, uh, for Mexico City and the people mm -hmm. who live there. And there was this one artist, uh, Arcángel Constantini, who is a really, really interesting pioneer of net art in Mexico and a great thinker as well, and also a really good friend of mine, who started a platform, a cryptocurrency platform, where you could uh, mine money that would get eventually donated for uh, the families that, uh, that were... What in need well, of help. <laughs> yeah. So what they asked for the community to do was just like, okay, let's just, you only have to go through these steps, very, very easy steps. Just go on, install this on your computer. And they had like a transparency chart where they were showing how much it was being mined and where it was going mm -hmm. uh, as well. So, and, and they were like, okay, just keep this running. If you have, you know, a computer on your house, if you have some desktop computers at your workplace and you are not actually physically there, it's not important. You can just leave this and keep it running while you are outside helping out. You don't have to decide whether you'd like to, you know, uh, help someone online or offline. You can do both. And I thought that was a very interesting switch to, to have because, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't know if you saw the news about this earthquake, but earthquakes are something that are very common in Mexico City. And, uh, Every 30 years or so, we have a very, you know, like one mm -hmm. that just destroys everything. And people are very close in terms of a community. And mm -hmm. uh, so there's actually people out there, like, you know, with, with you, you know, stuff running around, uh, feeding people and giving people things. And I don't know, that's, that's just the way it works. But then again, For the people that might not be able to do that physically, they al they also have a chance to help mm -hmm. without necessarily, you know, we are not the richest country, of course. So you cannot just go on and say, yes, I'm going to donate, you know, a thousand pounds for these because I don't have a thousand pounds for me to donate. But if I can mine this and, and mm -hmm. I understand the logic of this, this is something that might not at all, you know, have. Uh, an impact, a uh, bad impact, let's say, on my economy, but then I can still help. So definitely in that sense, cryptocurrencies uh, have worked in a very interesting way, in this case, from mm -hmm. uh, the TAN initiative that was within the arts community, which I also thought was very interesting. Mm -hmm. We have a so, couple yeah. of comments that I just wanted to read out. Um, So there's Domenico saying, um, suggesting that perhaps students should create art from the university's computers and uh, trade it and make money to buy a computer for their homes and carry on the work and creating art. So that could be, that could be a way. Um, and then Eleonora, she's, um, she's saying that she was having these thoughts about the economy of um, crypto 
um, and, uh, and crypto art um, about the fact that uh, US um, kept the power in Venezuela some time mm -hmm. ago. Um, and so because people there couldn't have access to the internet anymore, um, these sort of brought back what we were talking earlier on about um, connection problems um, and how we can solve this. In a way, I do understand that, um, you know, mining um, crypto, it makes sense because you are in a way um, not attached to the economy of a country and you can keep doing it and then, you know, supporting others and the community, although it does have some environmental um, implications. So I think it is quite questionable in a way and I think it will be probably a matter of time until the government will be able to put their hands on the crypto um, market as well and try and control it. So all the decentralization, it may as well become centralized again, or maybe not. And I think it's actually what we're living right now is a very interesting time because um, I think none of us know or has a clue about what life is going to be after the yeah. coronavirus and what systems yeah. and economies will be like, not just about art, but about the whole system, the whole capitalism that we've been, you know, uh, living in for the last years um, and how this is going to be changed by what we're living these days. I think... You know, I'll be interested to, to know what the people watching think about this as well and what you think the economy around, um, especially museums, uh, will be like mm -hmm. and how culture uh, could still be relevant and free in a way, accessible. So thinking about accessibility, how do you think museums are currently adapting to the current state of things? and? How do you, if you can envision a future mm -hmm. post-COVID crisis, how do you think this will be like? And I for think, everyone watching, well, if you have all, thoughts or questions, please question, do share them. Yeah. I think, well, uh, on my experience for the past couple of weeks, I think it, it's been very interesting the way in which a lot of museums that had a very hard time validating online practices or practices that happen within a screen are now being, in a way, forced to push themselves into saying, well, if you go on and say that this is actually not as important or not as compelling as something that happens outside of the screen, you are also closing the doors for you to have an alternative way of approaching your institution while this uh, pandemic is there. So mm -hmm. I think on one hand, they have been, uh, yes, forced to validate online spaces. So that's, for me, I think, a really, really big change. And also for art fairs, you know. Uh, and I was also talking with a friend recently about how, how naive a lot of the decisions towards how they should go online feel for the people that have been working with online spaces <laughs> for quite a while. So I think, you know, it's like, why would you, why would you ever do like a four hour tour with a curator, like in a, in a badly recorded uh, video? Like, oh, you, you don't do that. We've been through this. <laughs> <laughs> we've, learned, we've learned from this, you know? Yeah. So I think, well, it's interesting 
um, because now also all of these practitioners and uh, academics and curators and artists that have been working with this are the ones that in a way are helping turn this around a bit, helping turn, uh, you know, the, the where does this stand in, I don't know, like a, a crisis like this, Mm -hmm. And how can these structures and platforms help uh, mitigate at least a bit what's going on outside of our, of our houses and on the streets, basically. Mm -hmm. So on one hand, yes, I think that's something that has to change. And if I can talk from my own experience, like I was saying, um, I work for the Center of Digital Culture in Mexico City. And... Um, well, this center is basically um, part of the Secretary of Culture, which means that we are a government-funded uh, institution. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to think about this because uh, we are probably one of the only institutions that deal with digital culture in Mexico as a whole that mm -hmm. are being supported by the government. But this also means other sort of things. So on one hand, we are not a museum. We are a center for digital culture. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes, you know, the, the, these areas of the government that choose how much budget you get each year, uh, sometimes it's hard for us to communicate that we need, you know, like a very well-structured uh, programming team mm -hmm. or web design team, you know, and they're like, mm, but why would you like, we can just give you whatever we give other museums, that's fine you'll be fine, they can work with this. And it's like, well, actually, no, we need a little bit more because of these, these, this, and that, you know? So these things are normally very, very hard to communicate. To mm -hmm. have a really well-structured programming team, to having a really well-structured communication team, social media team. Um, so these are the things that happen within this center, but that have been very hard to communicate to other areas of, of the Secretary of Culture. And that now, for the past couple of weeks, that everyone has been panicking over what are we going to do with this, because you have a very shitty website and you cannot <laughs> go online, you are not the loop, you know? <laughs> what are yeah. we going to do? So they are like, oh, but, you know, remember the Digital Culture Center? They have a really, really big uh, programming team. So um, <laughs> we've been like... So you've mm, been advising others other yeah over and over they're like you know what to do please help us out like you have all of the knowledge and experience and it's like well you know see the this is why masters. you need to pay for this <laughs> and not only for us for everyone because we cannot go and do the job of i don't know like 50 plus museums that need this kind of job now we cannot do that yes. we are 30 people it's a really small space. Yeah, you cannot but see I think it. For yeah. us, this is definitely, uh, yeah, like a, like a very radical change in the way we are being perceived by the Secretary of Culture. So they are now like, oh, but what are you going to do? And we're like, you know, full on, let's go online. What can we go and do online? This, 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 this. Okay, how can this work? A 360 video, uh, you can do, I don't know, a live stream for this one. And then for this one, we can do an open call on social media. We've also been the first um, cultural center to have a TikTok account. 
which everyone was just like laughing out loud, you know, like, why would you want that? And now everyone is like, how can I use TikTok? Like, I'll go figure out. <laughs> and I think it's, you know, I think it's interesting. Of course, this means that we've had a very tough couple of weeks mm -hmm. uh, assessing and, you know, having conversations about what can these other places do. And one of the most, I think, the deepest conversations that we've had has to deal with, you cannot just go on and do a um, slideshow of images of exhibition views mm -hmm. and call it an online exhibition. Mm -hmm. That's not an online exhibition. And they are like, but why not? It's online, it's on pictures. It's like, yes, but this is not thought as yeah. an online exhibition. Nothing wrong with that. But you can, you need to understand what the differences are. How can you do this? How can you work on this other thing? And just, you know, build a case of what are you able to do and how to develop that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's one of the hardest things because, of course, no one really teaches you that. You have to, you know, go on, do your thing, mess it up a couple of times and little by little start understanding how to do stuff. And, uh, and I think that that has been one of the top, toughest things, you know. And also, you know, we, we see like these sort of mistakes, like rookie mistakes, like, oh, yeah, yeah, let's just, you know, uh, build a website where you can just scroll around all of the exhibition and we have like HD 300 DPI images. It's like, no, you don't do that. That's never, never, ever gonna, you know, download with the Mexican internet. You can't do that. Don't go above 150 DPIs. Don't go above 720, you know, <laughs> pixels. And it's something that feels, you know, for people that work within this field, like so simple. It's, it's obvious, you know. Mm -hmm. But then you go back and realize how deeply behind this knowledge they are because they've never been full on aware of mm -hmm. the importance of or the the I don't know like the ways of distributing the their approach uh, to art online I think yeah and uh, another conversation that we have is if it's not made to be seen through a screen this can never really uh, become the full experience that's another thing we have a really big advantage there because everything that we work with is meant to be seen through so a, screen. a screen. I wouldn't necessarily would say online, but it is meant to be seen through a screen. It's meant to be interacted with through a keyboard or through a mouse pad or through a, it's something that has already been envisioned this way. Mm -hmm. So placing that online is just allowing people to interact with something that was already meant to be seen like this. But when you have something that was not meant to be seen and experienced like this, let's say a sculpture that you have to walk around, approach it, then you have to figure out ways to, to do that and understand what's, the, what's, what's what you would do to approach this if you were in the physical space. Mm -hmm. So no, then again, if you have a series of slideshows of uh, exhibition views of a sculptural exhibition that's not gonna do it i mean mm -hmm. i'm very much aware that walking around the sculpture digital might as well not do it either but it has a little bit more um 
I don't know, like uh, coherence to what you're looking at. So I would say that that's something that needs to be understood now, that it's definitely changing now, and that might definitely help the way in which other institutions that have never been interested in these practices might now, uh, you know, make sense of what's going on there. And not necessarily just go on and say like, oh, yeah, yeah, an Instagram performance. Like, what is that? <laughs> you know? It yeah, absolutely. I so, totally yeah. agree with you. And I think what you said is uh, very profound because I've seen far too many museums rushing to uh, bring their collection to the internet without... Thank you for bearing with us. Hey, yeah, I don't know what happened. Um, I think as soon as you get over an hour, it somehow stops. I don't know why. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> but yeah, sorry, everyone. Um, yeah, what I wanted to say just to conclude is that I've seen far too many museums putting their collection online without really mm -hmm. thinking it through what it means to take a collection online and what's the best way of showing work. But I suppose that... Um, you know, everyone's been working in a brush and in a bit of a panic mode uh, because a lot of museums have shut with uh, very little notice. And so everyone worked so hard to still make the content of the museums available online. So I think we should also forgive the mistakes we see because um, people will need time to learn. And I think, you know, the fact that a lot of museums and institutions have been neglecting um, the fact that the internet exists. And so they should also have their own presence there. And how do you build this presence? Um, it's something that there's never been a budget for it. Or if there was a budget, was very uh, small. And so people had um, to reinvent their presence on the internet. Uh, especially for institutions that have been running for hundreds of years, you know, and they have become a place that people go travel to and visit mm -hmm. um, in person. And so the whole economy was based around uh, how do we make people travel to one location? But then this process here, which is not sustainable anymore because making people traveling um, every week and taking planes, you know, across the ocean um, is not, a healthy way of uh, living on this planet. So I think what's happening right now forces us to think of new ways of, of enjoying art, making it accessible to everyone, and also closing these huge gaps of missing knowledge, you know, because um, technology and uh, technological culture in a way um, is not something that you study at school. I mean, at least I'm in my 30s and I did not study anything as such when I was at school. Um, so I think it's a, it's a very important time to reflect on our presence online and how we see this going um, forward, you know, in the future. But it's, it's been so interesting talking to you about these topics and having your views about uh, doing exhibitions online, the role of the curator, and how this has been, uh, you know, for you for the past few years, uh, since 2017 till now. Um, and yes, thank you for everyone watching and sharing your comments. It's been 
Um, wonderful to have your feedback and thank you for the support because I think a lot of people that shared their thoughts with us today um, were saying that, um, yeah, for example, digital literacy is a must. That's what Domenico is um, underlining now, you know, for everyone, including museums and art galleries, which I totally agree with. Yeah, yeah, totally, 100%. And yeah, I think that's the only way we are going to be able to actually uh, I don't know if, if, if empower is the word, but probably, you know, to think about building our, our own structures and platforms from there, mm -hmm. right? I think that's, that should be the next step to, to not depend on companies that we can't control, especially when it comes down to their personal uh, politics and, you know, things that we might not necessarily be um, well, uh, I don't know, like uh, uh, wanting to to expand or perpetuate, I guess. So yeah, for sure. So yeah, definitely. I think that's that's something that should happen next. Fingers yeah. crossed. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. But it's an interesting time, and uh, I hope everyone watching enjoyed this talk um, and found it inspiring as much as I did. Thank you, Doreen. It's been wonderful talking to you. <laughs> and uh, thank you, everyone who joined us. Yes. See you soon. You. Take care. Stay thank safe, you. everyone. Yes. <laughs> Bye. Take care.